Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Raywin Guerrero. She is the gutsy executive coach, an international best-selling author, and a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Raywin, that is a hell of a lot of hats you're wearing. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking and thank you for having me on your awesome show. Oh, it is my pleasure and my honor. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I'm really excited to have you here and jump in and share all the things, Raywin, and just share with the world the work that you're doing, the beautiful light you're putting out into the world. So with that being said, let's jump right in. You are wearing a hell of a lot of hats. I know that we listed off a few of them and I know you do multiple other things as well. It's quite a resume. So how on earth do you find the time for all the things that you do? And how important is prioritization and organization to you? I love this question. Well, one, it's I don't really feel like I'm wearing multiple hats in the sense of I'm not segmenting myself into to various places. So I try to integrate everything that I do. So, you know, in terms of prioritization, obviously, my work helping other people is that's my main driver, right? So for me, everything that I do is built around that. That's my North Star. So anything that I'm doing is just like, is it feeding into that or is it taken away from it? And if it's taking away from it, then I'm probably not going to do it or it's going to be very (laughs) low at the bottom of the list of things to do, right? So in terms of prioritization, I actually wrote a blog on this about two weeks ago. I thought thought this was pretty timely because (laughs) people have asked, how do you manage all the things? And I was like, well, I have days that are segmented, you know, like my week is broken up into specific types of days. So I have days for clients, days for group coaching, mornings for afternoon walks and dinners and breath work and cycling and reading and you know time I I always try and make time for going outside because I realize like without going outside I tend to feel the you know the uh, indoor lighting that can actually be very draining and I'm realizing more and more how sensitive a lot of people myself included are to light and how you know the last two years or three years with COVID being stuck indoors a lot of people's immune systems suffered as a result of that, in addition to the fact that there was a virus on the loose. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, the fact that we're sitting all the time, definitely not good for immunity because exercise keeps your immune system vigilant. So sitting all the time and being in indoor lights or fluorescent lights, that kind of like white, horrible light, really, really not great for our bodies and for our circadian rhythms and for helping us sleep or to decompress or to relax. So for me, getting outside is a big component of being able to manage all of the things. Absolutely. That's important. You got to get out and get moving Mm -hmm. and get that fresh air into your system as well. I would love to know with you wearing, and I know you don't like to use this term, but wearing all the hats and the things that you do and knowing the importance of routine and regiment, what does your morning routine look like? Yeah, I have an ideal morning routine and then I have a, it doesn't always go to plan. Okay. I am human. Right. There's some days where I start off the day with the best of intentions and then things just don't always work out the way we plan. Well, life Uh, happens, right? (laughs) Exactly. I tend to find life happens like in the worst ways when you've got your phone close to you. So (laughs) my morning routine, the, the ideal version of that is keeping the phone away from me and not looking at it until I've gone through all the wonderful intentional practices that I like to put into place before getting into working and seeing people. So the ideal would be waking up at six. And I I do tend to wake up at six anyway, sometimes a little bit earlier because I do go to bed pretty early too, like before 10. So I wake up at six. I definitely practice gratitude. 
connect with, you know, with God and, and that, cause that's a really important part of my day and dedicating my day to, you know, being a light in the world, being able to help other people and that whatever I'm doing is a reflection of that. And that's my North Star, being able to set that intention at the outset. Sometimes I say it over my coffee. Like if I don't have the five <laughs> minutes in bed to do that or to close my eyes, I, I'll get downstairs and get my coffee going and say it over my coffee while I'm waiting for it, you know? So being intentional is a huge part of my morning routine. I don't always exercise, you know, when the weather's really good. We've had a pretty wet winter in San Diego, which is not very typical. It reminds me a lot of my life in London, where it's just (laughs) cold and gray all the time. So it's been wet and kind of cold. But when it's not, getting up and going for a morning walk is a big part of it. And I've spent a lot of time in Mexico as well over the last three years. And that was always a big part of it because it's always warm and sunny. Yeah. So once it's warm enough, Enough, sunny enough. I don't like being cold. I know people say there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing, but I disagree. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm right? with you on that. Like I want it to be warm enough for me to be able to walk outside and not have to put on like 15,000 layers and boots yeah. and all the things and, you know, and get out there. So once it's warm enough, getting outside first thing, even if it's for 15 minutes, just walking, yeah. breathing, getting light hitting your eyes straight away. In the absence of that, getting to my desk, but not actually doing calls or anything for about an hour and really kind of getting on top of my inbox is a big part of, you know, feeling like I'm in control of what's happening in my world and then scheduling appointments and calls and those sorts of things for later on. So spending a good hour to two hours getting centered, getting intentional, and then kind of diving into the day and finding moments for breaks and, you know, for being able to recalibrate as the day goes on. And eating is a big part of it too. For a long time, I was doing one meal a day because I thought, oh, well, I'm fasting. So that's giving my digestive system, you know, a chance to reset itself. I also felt less sluggish because, you know, if you're not eating, the food's not slowing you down. So you're not spending a lot of time on digesting. So you can feel a lot sharper. But what's ended up happening is that after a little period of time, like I think those things are great short term, but for women in particular, it can actually become problematic for your hormones. It can start to deplete you. So I'm back to eating three meals a day. And yes, it takes a a significant amount of time to prep things and all that sort of stuff. But the energy that you're going to get out of it, and I'm not feeling sluggish, and I'm not any of those things that I was afraid of before. Now I have the energy and I am not hungry. Because when you're hungry, you're not thinking about your client. And all you're thinking about is like, when can I get my next meal? (laughs) (laughs) So making sure there's time built in for all of those things is a big part. So I kind of structure out my whole day, I'll block out like 20 minutes for this 15 minutes for that half an hour for this 15 minutes between meetings so that you have some human minutes, you know, those are important too, because I think sometimes we forget like to go to the bathroom or to have water or any of those things. Keeping water on your desk important because as much as a 2% drop in hydration can lead to you becoming very sluggish and very foggy. And I need to, when I'm dealing with people, I'm trying to solve problems. I can't be foggy. Very true. Mm -hmm. So what drives, motivates and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? That's a loaded question, Brad. (laughs) There's so many things. I've had my own personal stuff going on. And I guess that's how most people get into this world. You know, when I was growing up, my grandfather suffered from an undiagnosed anxiety disorder. And it was undiagnosed, yet still his doctor was prescribing him meds. So it wasn't officially like, oh, you've got anxiety, you should go see someone about it. It was like, oh, you feel nervous? Here, just take some benzos. So they just kept kind of giving him this repeat prescription for about 20 years. Wow. So that was really hard for me to witness because what ends up happening over time of taking psychopharmaceuticals or any pharmaceuticals, they have long-term side effects. So they're designed for short-term use. And I don't think enough people know enough about this. So this is one of my big drivers trying to get that message out there that you can't use meds or pills to deal with things. You've got to figure out what's driving the problem and be able to can't just throw pills at it. So for him, that was probably the biggest driver for me seeing him decline because everyone would have looked at him and would have thought he's this, he was this larger than life character, huge heart, extremely loving, very giving. He was a bodybuilder, very proud of his physique into his sixties, lifting weights, blah, blah, blah. But with this crippling, you know, by the time he sort of hit his sixties, he didn't want to leave the house, wanted to stay at home all the time. And when you're young, I mean, I was a teenager. I didn't really understand what was going on. This was back in like the 80s, right? So 
men were macho. They were not supposed to talk about feelings or what yeah. was freaking them out. So, you know, and I grew up in a, a, a culture, sort of Latino type culture where you men definitely didn't talk about what was going on with them. And the thing is, go see the doctor, the doctor will fix you. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, that led to this dependency on these things. And I feel like it was very formative for me to witness that and to see how his decline and then realizing as I got older and I ended up in banking and seeing that there were a ton of people around me experiencing the exact same thing, like women going and locking themselves in the bathroom at lunchtime and crying or crying openly at their desks because they were just so overwhelmed and stressed and terrified of being perceived as not being able to keep up. And in corporate culture, that's a real problem. That perception yeah. of I need to be able to look like I can handle anything that gets thrown at me. And I often think of that movie, The Devil Wears Prada. I don't know if everybody's <laughs> familiar with that. A little bit of my corporate life was like that, where it's just yeah. like, they just want to see if they can sink you. They'll yeah. throw everything at you and you have to just smile and be like, I'm right on top of it. I got <laughs> it. And, you know, we're humans. We're not machines. That's so, right. We're human beings, not human doings. Exactly. And part of my mission right now is to, one, be a human being, and two, show other people how they can do that. And it doesn't mean you sacrifice success. You might have to redefine success, there but it doesn't go. mean that you sacrifice achieving anything in your life. In fact, I feel like since leaving corporate, I've achieved more than I could have possibly have achieved by being in that one place and in that one role and kind of being... Uh, zoned. I remember my old boss, he said, you know, I don't really know what to do with you because you do too many things. And why can't you just pick one? And I'm kind of like, I've, I've never been able to pick one thing that I could do. I've always done multiple things. I worked three jobs when I was at university. When I was at school, I ran two music clubs. I was in the drama club. I did tons of You're different- You're multi-passionate. Right? <laughs> I, and I figured that's a good thing being able to live life with zest and gusto but he didn't think it was a great thing at all because he didn't know what to do with me he's like you don't fit in this little box that i've got designed for people well, maybe i'm not meant to be in a fucking box how about that god brad i love you <laughs> i love when you say things like that because those are the things that run through my head i remember sitting in meetings and thinking dude I'm not someone who fits in a box you know and i, I didn't want to say anything and this is another thing what motivates me women always having to be stifled and suppressed, yep. you know, so seeing people becoming dependent on medication because they are being suppressed because they're all linked. So yeah. many of my clients, these women with autoimmune issues or who are feeling burnt out and overwhelmed and chronic fatigue. And so much of the time it's because they don't know how to stand up and advocate for themselves and how to say no and how to put boundaries in place and how to be their best friend. They are so busy pleasing other people that they end up taking a hit physically, like psychologically, physiologically, it, it happens. And these things turn internally. They actually, they start to manifest in these physiological illnesses. So dis-ease. Dis-ease. You got it. So that's why I do what I do because I realize, <laughs> like so many people, my mother was one of them. God bless her. You know, she actually passed away because she had that disease of wanting to please everyone mm. all the time. And she's died prematurely, as far as I'm concerned, cancer. You know, yeah. after five years, she just gave up. And I think it was hard for her because I think when she had children, she expected her children to stay children. And I know there yeah. are some people like that. And we all grew up and we left the country and we went to other places. And she was sort of left with an empty nest and didn't really know what to do with herself and mm -hmm. kept saying, it's time for you to come home. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like my home is <laughs> elsewhere. It's not here. <laughs> right? Which is hard. For, you know, I, and I get that was hard for her because she'd lost her parents. And, you know, I, she kept saying, oh, nobody loves me the way my parents love me. I'm like, what are you talking about? You have a husband. And he adored. Yeah. I mean... When she was passing away, it took about two, three months of being in hospice and that kind of thing. It was very long and drawn out. Anybody who's ever been through cancer will know. And one of the nurses who came to give her, do some blood work for her, the lady came to me afterwards. She said, oh my God. She said, I need a man to look at me the way your father looks at your mother. <laughs> She's like, I've never seen anything like it. I said, oh, he adores her. And, you know, they've yeah. been together for like 45, almost 50 years, ever since they were like teenagers. So you know, him witnessing her suffering so much, you know, he didn't know what to pray for. He's like, do I pray for her to stay alive? Or do I pray for her, you know, pray for the suffering yeah. to end? He was very, and we were all, you know, everybody who goes through that is like, well, you're kind of relieved when they're gone. And then you realize it hits you so much that they, they're not around anymore. So seeing people 
and seeing my mother go through that and seeing other family members as well. She was not the only person in my family who'd had cancer, you know, realizing like so much of it comes from not being able to love yourself and to know your purpose and to be committed to that. So a lot of my work is around that. And that's why I'm so committed to my purpose and to understanding, well, I'm here to be able to help other people and that everything that I've been through is going to help guide someone. It's going to be somebody else's survival guide, right? Because there've been other people who've gone before me. I have certain books that I'm like, oh my God, that book saved my life, you know? And that's why I like writing because I think books are extremely powerful and that way podcasts are extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. When someone hears your story and they connect with it, they're like, oh my God, that is what I needed to hear today to get me through today. Your story is someone else's life raft. Yeah, that's exactly right. Your Mm -hmm. story is someone else's life raft. I I like to say survival guide, but yeah, life raft for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I can't take credit for that one. I borrowed that one from someone (laughs) that told me that, but I just loved it. It resonated so much or someone's life preserver, life raft, whichever you want to use. I just, I thought it was so brilliant and just, it, it epitomizes that like your story will resonate with someone and it will be someone else's savior. So I, yeah. I just, I love it. Someone else's life raft or someone else's life preserver. It totally is. And you know, everybody's been through things in their lives, right? Yep, Every, there's not a person on this planet who is skating through it in their forties no. or their fifties, or even in their twenties. I've had clients in their twenties who have been through some tremendously hard things, you know, losing mm. parents, fathers leaving, you know, a lot of abandonment issues. I've had some of those issues myself. My father didn't physically leave, but he was very absent when I was growing up. He was very committed to a bunch of other things. So I didn't really have a strong, he wasn't really around in that sense. My yeah. mother was the strong figure. And then I see how that plays out in people's lives. So I can relate when I see girls feeling you know, at sea and not knowing how to trust men or how to connect with them in a way where they are valuing themselves. So all of those things to me, I feel like I have a mission or a calling to be able to help people wake up to loving themselves so that they don't become sick later on. Because I have dealt with a lot of very ill people, people who couldn't get out of bed, people who are unable to work anymore. And I'm kind of like their last resort. They're like, okay, well, this is my last Hail Mary. I don't know what else to do. Like my doctor has Mm -hmm. washed his hands of me. What do I do? And I'm stuck in bed and I can't breathe. I'm having trouble with all these things, you know, and I've been able to to help them with a really specific skill set that has evolved because of the things that I've been through. So, you know, I was sort of dismissed. I wouldn't say sort of, I actually was dismissed by several doctors. I wasn't so much flat in bed, but I did have a ton of issues with fatigue, IBS, stuff going on with migraines, my hormones, you know, not having unexplained infertility was probably the easiest way to describe it for me. And that's a big driver for me, like seeing people who have gotten so far down the line and you can't go back and have babies after you hit a certain point. Yeah. So, And I've always said like, okay, I have pulled a lot of people out of the river. Now I want to catch them before they fall in. I want to get them at that point so that it's not like, oh my God, I, I found you 10 years too late or five yeah. years or even two years too late. I still want you to realize there's hope for you if you start paying attention to some of these things right now and you start tuning into what your body's saying to you and we can reverse a lot. I mean, you can still reverse things later on, but there are certain biological facts. Like you hit menopause, you can't have a baby. It's just, that's just how it goes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That relationship with self though. I mean, that's the key to everything. That is the longest standing and the most important relationship we ever have in our entire lifetime. And so we need to learn to love ourselves. Absolutely. Because everything starts from self. We are the foundation for everything. And it all starts here. Totally. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard that expression. People don't have business problems. They have personal problems that spill over into their business. And I've never heard that. You've never heard that. So you know, I've, I've done a lot of different types of training and coaching and they always say, you know, you don't have a business problem. It's actually your personal problems. And I have seen that with my clients, like when they have issues at work and myself included back in the day, I was in my twenties or whatever, trying to get ahead and in a cutthroat male dominated banking industry in London. And it was a tricky place to navigate. And, you know, you're very unsure of yourself. Even if you think like, oh, I'm confident and I can take on the world. There's so much you don't know at 
20 something years old, right? Yeah. It's so much you don't know at 30 something years old. I feel like my 40s are a whole other layer right? <laughs> <laughs> as well. Like they really, really are like everything that I thought, man, I thought I had it all together in my mid 30s. And now I'm like, nope, the 40s are where it's at. And I'm pretty sure I'll feel like that when I'm in my 50s. But back to my original point, being able to navigate some of these different phases of your life and having the experiences that make you stronger, that make you able to stand up for yourself and to love yourself because you just don't because you want to be liked. You want to be approved of. You want yeah. you want people to think, oh, she's easygoing. She's fun. She's someone who can get stuff done and I can pile crap on her plate and she'll just get it done. She never says she's drowning. She never says, nope, stop. Yeah. Right? And you don't want to because you never want to be perceived as not being able to cope. So I feel like that whole idea of learning to set boundaries that are healthy with work and also with relationships, even with friendships, because friends can sometimes take a lot out of you partners as well. You know, they can yeah. expect a lot. And because you want to be pleasing to them, you say yes to everything when you should probably be saying no. And I like to let people know, my clients, I say, look, when you say no to someone else, you're actually saying yes to yourself. And ultimately, that's what you that's the only person you really need to be saying yes to at the end of yeah. the day. You know, that's right. Because you and have no to is honor a yourself. Sentence. No, it's a complete. That's totally true. It's true. I love because that. When we say no to people, we always feel the need to justify why we're saying no. You mm -hmm. don't have to justify it to anybody. No, no. And that's it. It's a complete Just sentence. No. Just yeah. plain old no. That's very, right. very true. And I, that's a product of conditioning too, right? Yes, Again, absolutely. back to, I think, the way that women were sort of indoctrinated into being oh if you ever look at some of the commercials from in the 50s or the, the 40s or whatever and how you know a, a woman must be well kept and ready for her husband when he comes home and yeah. have dinner on the table <laughs> yeah. i just laugh at some of these things i say oh my god i don't have dinner waiting for my husband ever when it happens he's like oh my god what happened to you <laughs> what have you done with raywin where is yeah, she <laughs> In fact, it's sometimes the other way around. He's like, oh, I made dinner. I was like, oh, thank God. And, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful we don't live in times where those sorts of expectations are put on women, that we can go out there and forge our own way in the world. And that yeah. there is that equality factor and that, you know, you should really be looking for someone or a relationship, whether man or woman, whatever it is, where that person can see, hey, I want to help you shine. And if you making dinner is going to stop you from doing that, I'm just going to make sure that I make the dinner, right? So yeah, exactly. Pick up the slack. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. I'm the one here who does all the cooking. My wife does it. She tells, she hates cooking. Absolutely hates it. That's fine. I'm the one who does the cooking. <laughs> She's so. not the only one. There's so many, like my sister's the same way. Her husband does all the cooking because whenever she cooks, she says she burns everything. So <laughs> he prefers not to have burnt food. <laughs> That's her. Well, he does all I the think, cooking. I think a lot of people would prefer not to have burnt food, but my, it's not that my wife <laughs> burns stuff, but she just does not she just like doesn't to enjoy cook, it. period. Yeah. yeah. I love cooking. I do enjoy it. I was telling her last night because I made dinner last night and I was saying the only two things I don't like about cooking is deciding what to make and the cleanup afterwards. I, I cannot stand those two parts. See, yeah. I believe that if I cook, you should clean. I agree. I totally right? agree. It's, it's got to <laughs> yeah. be a give and take here. I'm putting in the work, making the food for you. So mm -hmm. I think you should clean up. You should do the dishes. Yeah. Or, you know, get a dishwasher or whatever. <laughs> you know, there are ways around all of these things that people, the, yeah. there's nothing to argue about, really. There's really no. nothing to argue no. about. And there's so much we can be grateful for. And, you know, my parents were super religious and they had a little plaque thing that says, you know, thank God for dirty dishes. They have a tale to tell. While others are going hungry, we are eating well. And I always remember that because it's true. Yeah. There are people in this world who are starving and you're grumbling about washing up. Don't put it in the dishwasher, leave it for tomorrow. I mean, I personally don't like leaving it for tomorrow. And my husband's like, leave it. I'm like, no way. I can't. I just can't leave it. So I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want it to greet me in the morning. That's the last thing exactly. I want. Exactly. Yeah. So, how and why did you get the name the Gutsy Executive Coach? Who gave you that name? I actually gave myself that name because <laughs> let's get into that. Well, gut brain connection—that's a huge component of what I do. And then, of course, there's that kind of double entendre that you know you can be spunky and full of zest and get you know gutsy. I actually had like a little mini course called Get Gutsy, so it was how to show okay. people how to 
tap into one, you know, your health is your foundation, right? You are your biggest income producing asset. If your body is not working, then you're not going anywhere. So you need to get that gut brain connection working. So I can explain a little bit about that to your listeners in case they're not familiar. Thank you. So one thing that we need to understand is that we have two, we actually have several nervous systems, but we have the second largest nervous system exists within our digestive tract. And it's called the gut microbiome. And it's full of, well, one, it produces a ton of like immunoglobulin. So it keeps your immunity up. So we've got about 80% of our immune system in there. And then we also have a lot of our neurotransmitters and hormones are produced in there. So the foods that we eat actually have a huge impact on the way that we feel in terms of energy. Energy, the way that we perform. So if we're not eating the right foods, we're not getting, let's say, the right balance of protein, fats, and carbohydrates, and we're not absorbing them also. So it's not just what you eat, it's how well you absorb. Then you can kind of run into problems with feeling tired, feeling pain, feeling foggy, having poor memory, feeling low mood. That's a big thing. And people tend to think like, oh, the depression is the problem. In functional medicine, what we say is, well, the symptoms never the problem. The symptom is the result of the problem. So it's a clue for us to look deeper. And I like, and I use a lot of car analogies and I say it's like the check engine light on your dashboard, right? So if your gut is out of whack, very often you're going to be struggling with things like anxiety. And that was my story, you know, panic and anxiety. That was my IBS slash panic slash anxiety. And then that knocks on to hormones and a bunch of other things as well. And because all these things are integrated, which is why in functional medicine, we look at a person as a whole person, as opposed to, you know, all these little parts, like, you know, because unfortunately in traditional medicine, you go to a doctor and he's like, oh, you need your hormones aren't working, go see your endocrinologist or your head's not working, go see a neurologist. But they're not necessarily looking at the fact that, well, you're connected all these different body parts, all these different organs, all these systems, they're all connected and they're all having an impact upon each other. And, you know, you have to think of it like, okay, if the car's not driving, you're not only going to check the wheels. You want to see, is the oil okay? Do you have gas? You know, spark plugs in place. What else is going on under the hood of the car, just apart from the car not moving, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the same thing with a body. You want to see, well, you know, are the hormones working? Are this immune system working? Is the digestion? Is the detoxification system? So we have all these different systems and we call them identifying your hidden stressors. So hormones, immune system, digestion, detoxification, energy production, and the nervous system, because they're all connected. So the work that I do is investigating that as a starting point. So we look at data that's relevant to you. And it's not blood work because everyone thinks, well, I've done all this blood work and everything's come back normal. And I'm like, yeah, I've been there. That was exactly me. They're like, there's nothing wrong with you. It must be in your head. I had a penny for every time someone told me that I would have my own private island because (laughs) doctors are so quick to just say, nope, you're imagining it. They get, they medically gaslight you. You get gaslit when you go and you're told like, but it, it can't be because your blood work says that you're fine, but I don't feel fine. You know, and you have to understand that blood work, unfortunately, is measuring you against a sick population. So they are looking at the averages of the entire population. For you to be normal, you just have to be like one click above the people who are are like diseased and who need meds. Yeah. So they're not looking for optimal. And the work that I do is, well, how can we get you functioning and firing on all cylinders and best you can possibly be? So we look at different markers. We look at different ranges. You know, we look at hair, we look at urine, we look at stool, we do a fingerprint blood test as opposed to like a venipuncture. So there's a lot that goes into what we do, lots of different data points. And then that helps to determine, well, is the gut really the problem or is the gut the symptom of the problem? And that's what I have actually learned a lot in the last few years, because when I first started off, I thought, oh, gut issues must be all in your gut, not realizing stuff in the environment can be impacting that. EMFs can be impacting that. Mold toxicity, living in a house with mold can be impacting that. It doesn't always show up as like asthma or headaches. It can be stuff impacting your gut and food sensitivities. So my work around the whole gutsy executive thing Definitely looking into what's going on under the hood and that gut brain connection, but also working with women who are driven, dynamic, high powered, who are working in some sort of corporate entity. That's usually the type of client that I would work with. I have seen people who have not been able to work though, because of the things that were going on in them. And some of like my greatest achievements is when I can get them to get out of bed, get out of the house, start driving again, start 
participating Moving, in society and life again. Yeah, society and life again. And starting to dream again about, oh my God, maybe I could get back, not maybe their original job, but they can find something that makes them feel purposeful again, you know? Yeah, so find something that brings them happiness. Exactly. Because very often the whole corporate thing, you know, everyone loves it because it pays well and there's a certain amount of status there's that goes along with it. There's a big trade off there. Huge. And you can only do it for so long. And I try to explain that to, I've had younger friends who've been going into, you know, that world. And I say, you know, this has a shelf life and you have a shelf life and you need to know what you're going to do after that. So get in there, make your money, squirrel it away, put it, invest it into what it is you want to do next, where you can mm-hmm. live your life by design. And a lot of my work is to help people figure out what that life by design looks like once we get the biology in place. So yeah. I don't spend forever working on, oh, we got to work on, you know, the gut and all that. Yes, we definitely get the foundations in place, get the body moving and working. But so much of these symptoms, as we discussed at the start, they come from this repression, suppression of dreams, of your voice, of all these different things. So I want to get you dreaming again, thinking about all the things that light you up and help you channel that into something strategic. So that if you did want, let's say, to start something new, you know, you reach that that crossroads, that fork in the road where, all right, I could go back to my old life, but how did that really work out for me? Did I not get sick and tired and burnt out? Probably yeah. not the greatest place for me. Maybe I could step into something where I have more freedom to do things that I love, mm-hmm. to be with people I love, which is really what being alive. We talk about success, like that's essentially what success for me is like being right. able to be with the people I love, do the things that I love and have the time to be able to balance priorities and obligations and pleasure. So Absolutely. yeah. And I'm not feeling like, Oh my God, I need to catch my breath every five minutes. You know, there's a great quote that says, create a life that you don't need a vacation from. I do believe in vacations, however, just to be clear. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> let's clarify that. Yeah. But you know what's just so to be sad, clear though, is that people working in corporate <laughs> always talk about, well, I'll go on vacation or when I retire, I'll go there or I'll go. It's always when I retire, when I retire, who says you're going to be around that long? You don't know that. Why would you put it off? If you do it now while you're healthy, I mean, okay. Even the fact that sure you may be around, but you may not be in good enough shape to go and travel. So why not do it now while you can, while you are able-bodied, right? Mm -hmm. And take care of yourself. So that you are able-bodied, but don't put it off till retirement. Fuck that. Do it now. You only have one life. You literally, you only have one body too. So, you know, back to car analogies, right? So cars, when they break down, you go and you get new parts. Bodies, Mm -hmm. you can't can't. do that. (laughs) There's no new parts. I mean, maybe like you might get a liver transplant or something, but it's super traumatic. Like it's not like taking your car to the shop and just, you know, you leave it and you come back the next day and it's done. It's nothing (laughs) like that. It's very traumatic. You have to find a donor. You got to find all these different things. And so better to have it functioning well. And that's the functional part of functional medicine, conventional medicine, not so much about function. I always say, you know, for you to understand the difference between the two, conventional medicine is like emergency medicine. If you break your leg or you have a heart attack, you get yourself to a hospital and your doctor will save your life. It's reactive instead of proactive. And it's saving your life. Whereas functional medicine is really about changing your life. Like it is Mm -hmm. about how, and and it's, it's totally different too, because I sit down with someone, I don't see them for 10 minutes at a time, which is what unfortunately you get with the traditional drive-through, the drive-through medicine method. That's, it's funny you say that because I interviewed a woman who was a, she's a GP in the UK Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. She left her practice because she said she got tired of the fast food McDonald's type medicine. She said, it's ridiculous. I get 10 or 15 minutes with my patient. That's it. So enough time to say, how are you? What's the problem? Here's a script. See you later. On Pretty to the next, one. And the next yeah. one. So she moved out of that into becoming a life, what she calls lifestyle medicine. She shifted completely because she just got tired because she couldn't make a difference, which is why she got into medicine in the first place. And that's why most people get into medicine. You know, I worked with a functional medicine doctor and he was so burnt out by, he used to say he had dementia at the end of the day because he would have seen 50 patients in one day, you know, and he's like, that's a lot of people, 10 minute, 10 minute, 10 minute, 10 minute, 10 minute appointments. How do you help someone solve their problems that way? You You can't. You can't. Exactly. It literally is, you know, you're on the battlefield, you know, a landmine went off, we patched you up and then we send you back out. And that's 
That's, that's no it. good. That's, that's no, 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 that's no bueno. You can't so, help like, people. <laughs> no, you're not really helping them. You're enabling no. and you're perpetuating a cycle of illness and destruction. Yeah. That That's Absolutely. literally what it is. And I'm not about that. And I don't want anyone who ever comes into my orbit to feel that I'm about that. I want them to know that when we work together, there is a huge amount of care that's involved because of everything that I've experienced and lived and seen other people in my orbit experience and live. And that I want to make sure that no one on my watch goes through those things again. Now, I have to say, I'm pretty tough on my clients too. I will meet you where you're at, but you have to come you have to come. I'm not going to be. You have to be ready to do the work. Yeah. If you're not showing up to appointments, if you cancel last minute, if your life suddenly becomes more important than my life, then we can't play ball together. Yeah. Yeah, We're not a good fit. So I like to let people know those things up front because, you know, sometimes you just want to manage expectations. I'm not here to be abused either. I'm showing up to help you. It's my time. It's your time. I want you to value that that it's really important. And if you say that, you know, changing your health and changing your, your, your life is as important as you say it is, then I expect you to commit. And I do get life will happen. Things will show up. Of course. But if you say that you're going to show up, then I expect that. And, you know, we have a set amount of time to work together too. It's like yeah. 90 days and we can literally turn things around that have been plaguing you for, I don't know, 10 we years. We could change your life. Yeah. Yeah. 90 days, drop in the bucket. Drop. Yeah, exactly. It's a drop. It's a drop in the bucket. So just commit for the 90 days. Just say, look, this is the time for me now. I'm going to do it. I'll be there. And I'll be like, I'll be there too. We will work on this together. We'll partner with you. I'll partner with you and we'll we'll get through it and get you to where it is you want to be. And I think that's probably one of the main differences as well between if my granddad, let's say, had had therapy, the therapy probably would have been all about rehashing all of his past. And, you know, and he was in a big family. He was the first boy out of 12. Mm-hmm. So 12 children, I can imagine his poor mother was completely overwhelmed. And I, I know it wasn't an easy upbringing, but as a therapist, I realized, you know, I started off that way. I started off working as a CBT hypnotherapist and helping people through anxiety and stuff with having to kind of dig into their past. And do we always need to reopen the wound in order to be able to heal? No, we, yeah. I, we, I was just talking about this with someone this morning and we were talking about that. It's like therapy. When I look at therapy and I hear people talk, it's like you're going in to speak with this person, the therapist. And all you're doing is sitting in that misery. All you're doing is talking about it. It's negative. And that's all you're doing is talking about it. How are you going to get out of that? You're creating a perpetual cycle. Yeah. It's a negative feedback. Yeah. It literally is a negative feedback. Yes. And it's not something that I ever like people staying in. So it's why I love the coaching world because you can get very focused on, all right, well, I know what my past was like, but that is not going to define me. What is going to define me? What defines me is where I'm headed and how am I going to get there? And who's going to help me get there? And what are the things that I need to do in order to get there? And we break it down. When you start breaking it down into those little milestones and tiny steps, little action goals, it becomes a lot easier to see the future and to start to feel what's that going to feel like when I get there. And that's why I like integrating the hypnosis into it too, because we can talk about what it looks like. I can get people to do vision exercises and write it down and then they feed it back to me. And then I feed it back to them when they're in a state of, I don't like calling it trance because it's not really a trance, but (laughs) you're in a deeply relaxed state. You're more receptive to suggestions. And then you can start to visualize it. And the more that you visualize and you practice that mental rehearsal, which by the way, all professional athletes do and anyone who's actually successful when they practice visualization and mental rehearsal they're 10 times more likely to actually achieve what it is they've rehearsed so that intentionality sitting down writing it out then visualizing it rehearsing it practicing that on a regular basis maybe putting up post-its all over your your (laughs) computer (laughs) just to remind you this is where i'm headed this is what i'm doing coming up with a mantra i had a client who was depressed she told me it was at the start of COVID. She'd started a business. She had two children at home and a husband. The husband was working. She'd started this business, had walked away from her big corporate job to start this business right in February. And then COVID kind of hit in March and everything shut down. And she's at home with two littles and she can't send them off to daycare. So she's like, how am I going to run a business? So she got very overwhelmed very quickly. And she found me through a referral. And she said, look, I have been to therapists. I don't know if what we're going to do together is actually really going to help me because I'm so bored of talking about all the crap that I've been through and, you know, and kind of going through my childhood, my, my parents and yada, yada, yada. I said, well, the good news is I don't really work like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. They're like, I don't really want, I mean, 
I, I'm sure it's relevant, but if you've already done that work, you're not going to do that with me anymore. Yeah. You know, unless it was something that you hadn't touched on. But if you said you've already felt like you've dealt with that stuff, so how about we just focus on where we want to get you to go? And she said, okay, that sounds great. And I said, how about we come up with like a little affirmation for what that looks like? And we did. I, she had to come up with it. I didn't make it up for her. She yeah. had to come up with a sentence that she would be happy to say out loud in her own words that she could say to herself when she got out of bed, when she looked in the mirror, when she was making her coffee, cooking. And she said that that really made a huge difference. And within four weeks, now I, she'd committed to working with me for 90 days, but within four weeks, she went from being on a this thing called the subjective units of distress scale. So she went from being on like a two between a scale of zero to 10. And obviously zero being not great, 10 being as mm. happy as you can be. She went from being like at a two to a nine within four weeks. Because right? of that practice. Just because of that practice, because we started retraining her brain. And, you know, anybody who has studied a little neuroscience or knows a little bit about neuroplasticity, the brain is plastic. It responds to stimuli. It doesn't stop growing as you stop growing in your, you know, your teens or your early 20s. Yeah. So if you keep feeding it, if you keep feeding it good things, you keep practicing gratitude, you keep doing things that fill you up and light you up and give you joy, your brain's going to start being rewired for that. And it starts looking for that. It's called the reticular activating system. So that RAS kicks in and you start actively attracting things that bring you joy. And then you have more reasons to be joyful. So it's not just woo-woo, gratitude reciprocates, Matthew McConaughey, woo-woo. No. <laughs> it's wait a minute, an, wait a minute. You, Matthew, I you love have, Matthew I, McConaughey. I'm just saying, okay? I do yeah, adore I just, him. I just finished his book, Green Lights, last it's night. It's such a good it book. It is such an awesome book. I such love it. Such a good – I read it – it was like two years ago. I, ha, I listened yeah. to it on a plane, and I loved it so much I went out to Borders or whatever, the Barnes & Noble, yeah. and went and got the hardback. I was like, oh, I yeah. need to hold this. And it's like, such a good book. Such a good book. So, <laughs> And it. there's nothing – like I, I, I'm sorry I said that now because I do, I really turn. I got turned on to him back in 2014 when he accepted the Academy Award for a Dallas Buyers Club. I yeah. and I thought that was, was a gut wrenching movie to witness, yeah. and his performance was incredible. When he got on stage and he, you know, he first thing he did he was he, his speech. He just said, he just said like thank you. He said gratitude reciprocates. Right. Yeah. And back then I didn't know everything that I know now, you know? Right. So I was like, wow, this is so woo gratitude. <laughs> now we know he's actually right. There's actual like neuroscience backing yeah. all of this up. There's real yeah. data to back up the fact that when you practice writing down three to five things that you're grateful for. And if you do that a couple times a day, your brain literally starts to rewire itself. Your anxiety starts to melt away, but you have to do it. I had a client tell me, she's like, oh, I do gratitude all the time. I said, do you write it down? No, I just think about it. I said, no, the, the practice of writing it down <laughs> is the thing that's going to create the shift. That's yeah. going to create your shift. Go, um, go grab the five minute journal. Go grab yourself a five minute journal. And there there's you go. so many out there, yeah. right? So, yeah. so yeah. So sorry about the Matthew McConaughey comment, but <laughs> I said that was funny. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew McConaughey, woo. He's, I mean, he's brilliant. He's honestly brilliant. Yeah. He's been interviewed by Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi. I've seen all his interviews. I'm always so blown away by his perspective yeah. and the fact that he's, and this is the thing, success, I'm just going to say successful people practice gratitude. Successful right. people are happy people. You know, the people who are doing well in life, who have the family and the love and and their success is not just about the work that they're doing. It's also about who they are yeah. and who they are to the people around them. So redefining success is a big thing. And Ariana Huffington back in, God, I read her book, The Sleep Revolution, a long time ago. It must have been like 2013, probably around the same time, 2013, 2015, somewhere around there. And I went to a conference that she was speaking at in San Francisco. And she said, you know, I thought success was being on the cover of whatever magazine at the time. No, she wasn't running the Huffington Post yet, but this is before that. And she ended up falling over in a pool of blood and landing and cracking her head open and waking up in a pool of her own blood just as she'd achieved this pinnacle of her career being on the cover of this magazine. And she's like, is this successful? Or I am so sleep deprived because I've been working 90 hour weeks that I end up passing out. Is that really what success should be? That's so hustle culture bullshit. I love how frank you are. It's so cool. It's like, it's total BS. Total, it is. total. I, I hate that word hustle. It's terrible. Yeah. I think people who use that word and like to live in that, you're just trying to make yourself look busy. That's all. 
Yeah. And busy, as we know, doesn't mean you're actually being productive. Busy no. is just like, that's just to distract yourself from dealing with yourself as far as exactly. I'm concerned. Exactly. Deal exactly. with yourself, you yeah. know, sit down, deal. So, so all this talk about success, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I don't even know if I am successful. I think I'm a work in progress. But so, you know, I, I guess I'm more successful than I thought I, when I was like in my mid thirties and I thought I was like, I'm climbing this corporate ladder and I'm going to become an MD, I'm not a medical doctor, a managing director. <laughs> so that's, you know, in corporate world, it's MD is managing director. Like I'm going to become a managing director in, at Barclays. If what does success, what do I think my superpowers are? Patience and faith. You know, okay. having a lot of faith and learning to be patient. And I have to say patience was not my strong suit. So that is definitely something that I have learned over time and that I cannot do 50,000 things in one day, even if I think I can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just learning to pace. And you know what? It gets done when it gets done. Yeah. And you do your best and you don't have to do all of them all at once. Yeah. So That's, how do you define success? What does that mm, word mean to you? Well, I've talked about it a couple of times already. And, you know, I, I think being able to spend time doing what you love, being able to be like, hey, I can take two weeks off or a month off and go whale watching or swimming with dolphins or whatever that is, or spending time with my niece, you know, for me yeah. and my family, big, big deal. Having a whole month off in December, being able to afford that one, two, being able to have the time to do that. Yeah. Right. Afford so, it both time and financially. Financially, wise. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So to me, success is like having time with yeah, with family, with friends, not working weekends. You know, back yeah. we were talking about hustle culture. My <laughs> God, Brad, the working weekends, being available at all hours, having a Blackberry and having a boss who told you the only reason you have that Blackberry is so I can reach you whenever I want. Uh, <laughs> that's corporate. That's the corporate bullshit. Right. Why are you not picking up your phone at 10 p.m. on Friday night? Because I'm because it's Friday. I have night a life. Yeah, I have a life, and I'm not exactly. answering my phone at 10 p.m. And then getting the call. Right. So, like I said, there were a lot of devil wears Prada moments in my life where I'd have people trying to chase me. I'm like, what is this? This is just so on. And then you kind of normalize that too. Oh, this is just yeah. expected. You yeah. get out of it and you start working for yourself. Oh, wow, freedom. I don't have anyone calling me or bugging me at 10 o'clock at night ever, yeah. you know? Yeah. So freedom and success are some time. of those things. Time, yeah. time, time to like wake up and meditate if I want not to be, man, I got to get out of the door. I've got an hour to get to work on that commuting thing. So not a fan. Never have been. <laughs> Never have been a fan of the whole Everyone's scrambling to cram into the tra and London is a huge city, right? There were like yeah. over like ten million people, so yeah. everybody at the same time cramming in like sardines onto the train, and then they get to work, and then you know we have to go thirty flights up in the elevator, and we're all cramming to get into the elevator just so that we can get at our desk for exactly eight thirty. Like what? This it's robots. It's, it's like drones. Insane. It's yeah, insane. It's just mindless drones just going about, like not even paying it just. Doing the routine, the routine. That's it. You're just, it's and not a good routine. Exactly. No, it's, it's mindless. Like, it's so, mindless. you know, I talk about intentionality a lot and I've used yeah. it a few times as we've been talking and that to me, you can live with intention. You're being successful living yeah. with intention and you can actually create a life by design. You like, Hey, this is how I want to spend my day. And actually yeah. that's how I walked away from it. Like I, I did burn out, you know, I had time off. I had a coach, a therapist, a psychiatrist. I had a whole team. <laughs> to help me through that because I couldn't get out of bed and all that. I, I really yeah. was quite unwell. But during the time with the coach, the coach was probably the most productive, I have to say. I loved the therapist, but I did spend a lot of the time curled up like in a ball and crying. Yeah. And that, you know, you probably need that to get that out of your system. But I don't think you need to keep doing it for years. I spent six months with her and then it was done. I didn't want to yeah. keep going through that. But the coach was where I probably made the most headway because we worked out. She's like, well, where do you want to get to? And yeah. how do you want your life to look? And, you know, before I thought, I'm like, I have to go find another job. I'm going to have to find a job that she's like, no, no, no. She said, design your ideal day, design it. And then she said, you can create a life built around that. And that to me was probably one of the most empowering experiences ever. And it's always super empowering when I do it with clients now too. Mm -hmm. Where they're like, well, I'm going to have to look for another job. I'm like, no, don't even worry about that yet. Let's just figure out what would the perfect day look like for you? There what you country go. would you be in? 
What would you be doing? You know, because the one thing right now I'm talking to you, I'm in Texas. I can work mm. from anywhere. During the pandemic, yeah. I worked in Mexico. I have lived in Mexico and Hawaii and different places all off my laptop, still helping tons of people, but chasing the sun because I don't like being cold. <laughs> and I As have, we talked about. <laughs> right? I definitely don't like being cold. And I like being outside and I don't like wearing a lot of shoes. So giving up the corporate thing was one of the biggest, most fun things because I'm done wearing heels. And if I wear heels, it's for total fun now, not to be like, I've got a pad around in them at work and in yeah. suits and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, living off of a laptop, feeling completely free. That's That to me is my version of success and helping other people see that that's possible and that they can live by design. You can live by intention. Love it. Raywin, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Oh, I sound like a broken record, loving yourself. You know, when you don't love yourself, you are burnt out because you're so trying to keep people happy, keep everybody else happy because you're not living for yourself, right? You're living yeah. for everything and everyone else and trying to please. And so what was life before that? You know, exhausting, <laughs> very <laughs> physically. To put it plainly and simply. Yeah, physically exhausting, mentally exhausting. And what's life like now? freeing you know i can say no i love saying no to my husband i think it, i actually think it makes him happy <laughs> he's like okay she's she's got guts she's not gonna just roll over yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. so yeah you know and I, I wasn't like that before you know I, I remember my very first boyfriend or proper relationship i was so madly in love with him i'd been in love with him since i was five and finally get together with him when i'm 19 yeah. and anything you wanted. I'd just be like, yeah, sure. Okay. We'll do that. No worries. We'll, we'll go wherever you want. We'll do whatever you want. And half the time I didn't want to do half the things he was doing. Yeah. So yeah, you get exhausted and you get sick a lot. So right now, not sick a lot, much happier life a hundred times better. Beautiful. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? Unexpected blessing. This might get a little bit weird. I'm all for so, that. Let's go. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm going to go there. I haven't done this before talking to people, but I was brought up very religious. And as a result, mm -hmm. I rebelled completely against it. I did not like going to church. I did not like the Bible. I didn't like any of it. And weirdly, I, and it took me 22 years, like I walked, you know, went to England, had no relationship with the traditional church or any of the things that my dad brought me up in. But weirdly, I think COVID was a weird moment, a weird pivot where I kind of like, huh, I'm actually super grateful for the fact that my parents did raise me a certain way to look at the world in a different way, to sort of see that the government doesn't always have your best interests at heart. Sorry, I'm going there. Oh, no, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, could, I'm going there. Hole. That's okay. That's and, right. and weirdly, it actually attracted me to a church that's very into that. And I didn't know that that I, I thought I was going to the church to hear a lot of politicizing. And, and they are. They're, they're quite political. They're lobbying in Washington for freedoms and all these things, the things that are, are very important to me. But I actually had a weird experience or supernatural experience by going to that church thinking that I was going to hear a political rally and instead had this whole and still having this ongoing love affair with with God which I didn't really and I was spiritual and into like new age things but now in a much more I don't want to say because it's not I don't feel religious I'm not a religious person I don't preach dogma spiritual. yeah still spiritual but definitely it's in sort of more of the traditional things that I actually was raised in that I rejected and you know could not stand but it's Interesting to have a personal relationship now with God. So that's a very unexpected because, like I said, I went thinking it was a political rally and got hit over the head with something totally different. <laughs> different can be good, though, right? Get used yeah. to different. I don't know if anybody here watches The Chosen, but that's a line that Jesus uses in it. He says, get used to different. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yep, I get it. Yeah, so that's weirdly, I've kind of come full circle after 22 years. Of, okay. Yeah, so that's an unexpected blessing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Yeah, back to that whole living by design, being in control of your destiny and your health. To me, yeah. that's what empowerment is, being able to know that you can impact and change your circumstances, no matter what they are. You totally can. You know, I try to tell people, I said I had three jobs. I slept on a couch. I had 800 pounds to my name when I moved to England. I did that for years, but I didn't let that define me. Beautiful. That's powerful. I love it. 
Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? My grandmother. She was quite an incredible person, so full of love. Like I've never met a human so full of unconditional love and so wise beyond her years, being able to just love. And, you know, my, I have a gay brother and even, like I said, grew up religious and it was not good for him, but she was just so, so sweet and so giving and so loving and so kind. She's like, I don't care what he is. She's like, I don't care. He's my grandson and I love him. And if God made him that way, then that's how he is. And we just have to love him anyway. So, you know, <laughs> she like was, an incredible woman. she was incredible. I mean, she was definitely before her time. Yeah. I mean, she was born in the twenties. And if she had had a university education, she had to stop going to school when she was 12 because her father died and she had to go out and work and look after her mother and her brother. I think that's what a lot of our grandparents from that era, mm -hmm. they had to do. My grandmother's the same thing. She was one of 11 kids and mm. a bunch of them left home at like 14, 15 because they, they got to go out and work and, yeah. Yeah, and send money back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She's probably the most incredible person I've ever met. And I always wish that people like, I'm like, oh my God, if you had gone to university, you literally would have changed the world. I mean, she yeah. changed the world for all of us individually and that's had a knock-on effect, but yeah, she was pretty incredible. And she lived till 88. She was strong. She ate broccoli. Yeah. You know, she was one of those people who she ate everything, everything you put on her plate. She would eat every, and she would stay there for sometimes like an hour just <laughs> chewing and chewing. She taught me actually a lot about food, everything that I know now. And like, we all used to rush off and she's like, no, you're not chewing your food. You're going to get problems with your digestion. And she knew so much. Yeah. <laughs> so, so much. Yeah. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Gotcha. Okay? How would you describe yourself in one word? Relentless. What is your personal motto? Less is more. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Become the CEO of your health. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? Love yourself. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. You did awesome. Thanks. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> what challenge in your life has shaped you the most? Well, when I was seven, I fell off a tree and got diagnosed with scoliosis. I would say that was probably a defining moment for me because I yeah. was the proverbial ugly duckling. I had to wear a brace up until I was like 17. Wow. So like from my neck down. And that was really hard as a I'm teenager sure. and yeah, a teenager on a tropical island where everyone is in shorts and, you know, and you're like yeah. this weird girl. So that was probably one of the biggest moments. And I, I think people look at me and they think, oh, she's got it easy. And I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Okay, I got bullied a lot at school, like a lot. Like the girls were mean, the boys were mean. Everybody was pretty mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, look at you now. You've come through and you're thriving. Again, again loving yourself is the yes, key. You have to, sure. these are the things that teach you. They teach yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah. what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Yes. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? Oh, I love my brain. Okay. <laughs> I do love my brain. You know, I like that it it can solve problems and I'm using it to help people solve big problems with yeah. their lives, you know? So that's one thing, definitely. I like being able to connect dots and be like, oh, you, you haven't seen this, but this is what I see. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? That I'm not invincible. <laughs> <laughs> I think it took I was, you that long to realize well, it. <laughs> you know, so here's the thing, right? In 2016, I had my big burnout and I thought, okay, I found functional medicine. Everything is going to be okay. I know how to heal myself. Da, 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 da. But life, as you said at the start, happens. You know, I lost my mom last year. I crashed a car last year. I was in Mexico and I think I had a parasite. It was a really gnarly experience. So all the things like, I thought like, right, I'm bulletproof. And I'm actually, I'm not. Stuff can still happen to me. Yeah, So absolutely. figuring that out was like, and I'm realizing like, even though I have all this knowledge and all this other stuff, I'm still a human yeah. and I'll still be going through grief and all that stuff that other, you know, and that has a knock on effect on things that happen to your body too. Like I went for through, sure. Yeah. So a couple of things came up that I was not expecting that I thought, Oh my God, I thought I had this handled. So that was, yeah, kind of surprising. <laughs> not invincible, <laughs> not a superhero after all. Damn it. <laughs> well, you, well, you are just in a different way. That's all. You are a superhero. Thank you. <laughs> 
how do you celebrate your wins, Raymond? Depending on what they are, you know, eating beautiful food, going out for dinners with my husband, spending time with him, very important to me. Getting outside, getting on the ocean, that's probably another big one. So nice, clean food, good experiences. Again, connecting with the people that you love. That to me is is pretty much everything, connection. So sharing it, sharing my wins. What is one lesson that your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? What did I just say about not being invincible? (laughs) (laughs) That honestly, I think people really don't think that they can break. You know, they think, oh, I can just keep doing. Okay, classic example, elastic rubber band, right? Rubber band, you pull it. And then you let it spring back into shape. But very often we live like we can just be stretched and stretched and stretched and stretched. And you can just pile more and more and more and more and more on top of someone. And what ends up happening is that rubber band won't be elastic any longer. It will break. No, it loses its elasticity. Elasticity, Yeah, and it breaks. It snaps. Because when you're young too, people going into the whole corporate world, they think that, you know, I, I can handle anything you throw at me. But bodies aren't like that, you know. No. They aren't like that. So I wish I had learned that earlier on. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? What a fabulous question. Let's see. I used to love Oprah. Not so sure I love her anymore. (laughs) Do you know who I do still love? And she's who I got this expression from, Chris Carr. She's a cancer thriver. So she's been living with a terminal cancer for someone just mentioned her to me the other day, actually, funny enough. She's incredible. So she's been a big inspiration for me throughout my whole business from the outset, because she had a similar experience. She was in advertising and corporate and all that, and then got diagnosed with cancer. And, but she's not, you know, I think they gave her six months to live 14 years later. She's still here. (laughs) Um, You know, if I could sit down with anybody, I would want to sit down with her because she loves animals. She loves the earth. You know, she's just one of those people who's just full of light in spite of yeah. everything that life has thrown at her. So, Beautiful. yeah, I'd love to sit down and talk to her and hear about her fur babies and all the things. She like <laughs> she does rescue. She rescues animals and stuff. Yeah. Too, you know? She's sweet. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Prevention is better than cure. <laughs> yeah prevention absolutely is better than cure lastly if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world like your corner of the world your tribe your people what would that last 30 seconds sound like what words of wisdom would you impart oh boy trying to distill it down into 30 seconds that's tricky well back to boundaries and saying no rest for success make sure you rest and take care of your physical body Make sure you're living a life that you love. And if you're not, stop whatever it is you're doing and start doing that. Because our time is, it's short. Our time here is short. You know, we don't have time to waste. So start doing what you love. Start living, start taking care of yourself, looking after yourself so that you can then go out and do all the things that you want to do and that you want to, you know, all the people you want to love and just have the energy and the zest to be able to do that. So yeah, that's not succinct, but I hope that we, we touched on it. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But what do you say, though, to the people? Okay, you say that it's, if you're not happy doing what you're doing, stop and go do what you what makes you happy. But, you know, inevitably, people are, there are going to be people that come back to you and say, well, how can I? I can't afford to stop. I can't afford to quit my corporate job. How do I do that and go after what I want? Yeah. So that's what do you why say you, to that? You say you find somebody who's done it and then go learn from them. That's what you do. And that's that's pretty much what I did. You find a mentor, you know, or mentors. It might not be one. It might be several. And you might have a different mentor for a different season of each Mm. stage of your life. So be prepared to work with people who've done it, who you've seen do it, and find out how they did it and let them help you do it too. Yeah. Because for me, it didn't happen overnight, just to be clear, right? Like It it totally takes time. You know, I started thinking a certain way from from about 2014. I didn't kind of walk away until 2017. I have to have a plan. Mm -hmm. So you got to have a plan and you need to have somebody help you with the plan because very often you're not going to be able to figure it out. Fear alone will paralyze you. You'll be completely crippled by how, and you know, and I was like, I remember having panic attacks and waking up in the middle of the night, throwing up with anxiety about like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to go from having all my bills paid and my mortgage covered and everything to generating my own income? Like, how do you do that? 
you know, but you do. You get Fear them. is a massive four letter word. It is. Word. It's huge because word. fear is, is it's small. It's a four letter word. That's all it is, but it is fucking huge. Yeah. And it does, like you said, it paralyzes people. It stops so many people from achieving greatness, from doing what they want to do, from doing what makes them happy. All of these things that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. fear is a huge proponent of it that. Is. It, it, yeah. it stops so many people. Yeah. And you asked me something earlier about what was it that drives me, you know, like what's my superpower? And I said, faith, faith is the antithesis to fear. It's the opposite of fear. And the one I am going to get a little religious on you, but there is a (laughs) phrase in the Bible that's repeated more than any other phrase, be not afraid over and over and over. It's said multiple times be not afraid. There was a count. Somebody had done a count. It was like 300 and something times. And the other one was be still. So two things that we don't do in our lives. We're never still. We're always like next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And I think Lao Tzu says to the mind that is still the whole universe surrenders. That used to be one of my favorite quotes to be able to teach people. If you meditate, trust me, answers will come. Things will come. Right. And, you know, the Bible says it, Lao Tzu, it's in Buddhism. It's all over all the ancient religions, being still and being not afraid. Do not be afraid. Beautiful. Raywin, thank you so much for your time today. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I have thoroughly enjoyed every minute of our conversation. You are such a beautiful and inspirational soul. Keep shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world through all the beautiful work you're doing. And thank you for being part of the Empowerography community. I appreciate you and I appreciate your time. Thanks, Brad. This has been such a joy. Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Raywin Guerrero. She is the gutsy executive coach, an international bestselling author, and a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. Thank you so much, Raywin. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.